Hi. Good to have you here this weekend. Want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, uh, those at Lakewood, those that are live streaming us right now, and those that will be listening in the next couple of weeks or whenever you hear. Uh, no matter how you hear the message, if you're a part of the JFC family, we want to welcome you and thank you for being here. It is Mother's Day weekend, and it's been mentioned several times. We're going to start a new series today called Remarkable, and because it starts on Mother's Day weekend, we're going to be talking about remarkable moms. In just a minute, I'll go there. I think it'll be a blessing to you. I've got one uh, housekeeping thing that I need to do. Because we have our life day coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, it falls to me to remind our church to do this. Um, would you, that weekend, I know it's going to be sort of a different weekend. Got a 5K, got baptisms, got uh, the youth fundraiser for all of their missions, and then one service at Shea. Um, folks, we need to remember tithes and offerings that weekend, so we have two ways to, uh, to do this. You can go online ahead of time and take care of it for that week if you would, or bring it with you, but it's just important that that week doesn't turn out to be a week where people forget we've got things that still go on no matter what happens during our, uh, during our different weeks with our budget and what have you, and so it falls to me to just remind you to that, so thank you for that, and thanks for being faithful with your tithes and offerings. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this. It is called Remarkable, and here, if you look in your notes, under the first bullet point right there, the series is about living a remarkable life. And I think this is going to be really um, an interesting series in many ways, but uh, maybe most importantly, uh, the Bible uh, all through both Old Testament and the New Testament uses these words, blessed is the man or blessed is the woman or blessed is the person who, and then it gives identifying trademarks of how we're blessed. Now, for instance, like Psalms 1 begins with those very words, blessed is the man who, and then it gives different things that if you do these things, you'll be blessed. Well, that's what this series is about. In effect, we're going to talk about how to be a blessed person, how to have a blessed life. How many of you would love to have more blessing in your life? I mean, you've got to be crazy not to raise your hand. And if you didn't, I'll ask one more time so you can get in on it. How many of you want to be blessed in your life? Yes, we all want to be blessed. All right, so this is going to talk about that, and we'll go through it. Um, if you look in the dictionary, under the idea, a definition of what remarkable is, Webster's defines it as a life or a thing that is unusual or surprising. So you could do both things as remarkable, something that's unusual or something that's surprising. Now, when I met with our teaching team and we were planning this series out, I just asked them across the board, I said, give me your definition, not, not the dictionary, not even the Bible, your, your personal definition, what do you think a remarkable life is or what do you think uh, qualifies or is the characteristic of a person who's remarkable? And these were the, uh, the things that I got back. One of my pastors said a remarkable life is a solid life. And I, you could kind of fill in the blank there with that idea of what it means to be a solid person. Or how about this, authentic or a real life is, is a blessed life or a remarkable life. One of them said a worthy life, a life that's lived in a worthy way. One of them said that a life that's well lived. And then uh, the last one that kind of stuck in my head that I heard at the table that morning was that a remarkable life is a life that makes a difference. Can you agree with one of those things being remarkable? Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Back to the uh, contrasting thought though that remarkable can have two different meanings. It can mean unusual and it can mean surprising. And I thought, wow, let, let me give a great uh, illustration of, of how remarkable can be two different things. And I'll just use pop culture for one of them and then the other one, uh, uh, an icon in our, our time. But the first one, Justin Bieber. Uh, you'd have to admit he has a remarkable life. 
maybe not the life you want, but he does have, he's, he's got remarkable talent. Wow. Look, you're not going to hell if you agree. It's okay. So, uh, so he has remarkable talent. He's a remark for, a, for a, a, a young man of his age to do what he's done in life. Very, very, um, very remarkable. You, you could say that for sure. I would say that for sure, apparently. Nobody else. I, I think, you know, the Lakewood people are crazy about Justin Bieber, so they, they're, they're really, they're into this right now. But um, um, <laughs> the Castle Rock people don't even know who he is. So here's, here's, <laughs> here's, a, here's just a thought. Um, when you look at the word remarkable, it can have both a temporal and an eternal understanding. Because another person that you would have to admit is remarkable would be Mother Teresa. Now, she's no longer alive. But she had such an impact. In our, and you could say of both people that they're remarkable, couldn't you? You could say that Bieber's remarkable. You could say that Mother Teresa. But they're remarkable in different ways, yes or no? And, and I think it goes back to the idea of the definition right here that you can find that it's either an unusual or a surprising uh, definition. And I, I like that idea. All right, today we're going to talk more about the eternal. To be remarkable in a, in a manner that's not just a cultural uh, flash in the pan, but remarkable across the ages and across uh, 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 cultures and across uh, any, any language. What makes a remarkable person? And it just so happens that this is Mother's Day weekend, and I thought, gosh, there's probably not a better person that you could say is remarkable than a mom. Moms are remarkable. And I, I just put in your note, uh, if you move down here, I, I in my life, um, was thinking about the, the moms that I know, the ones that, that are close to me, my own, my wife, um, and, and, and a, a relative that I never met. And uh, I, I just, as I was thinking about what makes them remarkable, I started to write down um, just my, my thoughts and my impressions about those things. It was, a, it was an emotional message for me to put together. Um, I guess I just, I think in terms of, of this, that um, you don't know how special your mom is till you don't have a mom anymore. And, and you don't recognize the worth of a mom till you see your wife as a mom to your children. And I, 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 would, I would say that I'm a blessed person to be able to even teach this, this, um, this message today. So the first thing that I would consider to be a remarkable trait of a remarkable mom, mom is remarkable trust. If you're taking notes right there, trust. Exodus chapter 2 tells a really neat story about Moses. And it's Moses' birth and the first part of his childhood. Let me, just for time's sake, I'll paraphrase. I put the core uh, message in your notes right here, but I didn't have room for all of it to fit. So uh, I paraphrase it this way. Um, the book of Genesis tells the story of how the Hebrews ended up in the nation of uh, Egypt and that God was with them and he blessed them and they multiplied literally to where they outnumbered the Egyptians. The Bible says that a Pharaoh came on the scene who didn't know Joseph. Joseph happened to be um, the second highest in command person in Egypt 
during a remarkable time. But the Bible says a generation came after Joseph that didn't remember him. And instead of seeing Joseph and his relatives as a blessing, which they were to Egypt, they began to see all of the Hebrews as a threat. And a Pharaoh came on the scene who, who literally, inspired of the enemy, came up with this plan. He thought, these Hebrews are multiplying so fast, at some point they're going to turn on us Egyptians. So he came up with a plan to enslave the nation of Israel. And part of his way of enslaving them was to control the population, so he decided to kill all the firstborn males. And his way of doing that was to have them thrown into the Nile. At that time, we find the story of Moses' birth, that it was at the decree of Pharaoh that the firstborn males, in fact, all of the males, not even the firstborn, but all of the males, the Hebrews were going to be thrown into the Nile, that Moses' mother becomes pregnant. She has a little boy, and she's under the edict to have to throw him into the Nile. Can you imagine? I, even as a, as a father, the terror that's there. I, I wouldn't separate a mom from a dad in that situation. I mean, the terror that's there. But here's a woman that's being required to take her son and to throw him in the Nile to drown him. And the Bible says that she tries to hide him, but at three months old, it becomes impossible to hide him. And if he's found, they're going to put him to death. So she creates a little wicker bassinet and she covers it with tar so that it floats now she puts him in the Nile, but not by himself. She puts him in this little basket, and her sister, Moses' sister, her, her daughter, follows the basket down the Nile. Well, Pharaoh's daughter had gone to, um, to bathe, and she sees the little wicker basket coming down, and she sends her servant over to check it out, and it's a little baby, and the Bible says that when she saw the baby, her heart went out to the baby, and she decided, I don't care um, what Pharaoh says, I'm going to keep this baby. Can you see God's providence in, inside of this? Now, here's what's interesting. So her, um, her servant knows that this is Moses and knows what Moses' mother has done but doesn't tell uh, uh, Pharaoh's sister here. So she says, would you like me to find a wet nurse to take care of this child for you? Uh, and to make sure that the baby's okay. And Pharaoh's sister says, absolutely, go ahead and, and, and do that. So she goes and gets Moses' mother, unbeknownst to, to Pharaoh's sister, and Moses' mother gets to raise Moses. Now, here's what's interesting. Pharaoh's sister pays Moses' mother a salary for raising her own son. <laughs> How many moms would love that deal? Right there. <laughs> Remarkable story right here. And she gets to nurse her son, which if you, to not go there, but to go there, there's probably not more of a, a bonding between a mom and a child than that. And to offer that to your own son and to be able to raise him till he's old enough where she gives him over to Pharaoh's court, to another mom. And there's two things I like about this story real quickly. Let me just put them together for you. Number one, I love the fact that she had to trust God without God ever telling her what was going to happen in the story. She had to totally rely 
on the providence and the goodness of God to make sure that her baby was okay. God never said, if you do this, I'll make sure that he's raised okay and I'll make sure. In fact, God didn't even promise that he would live. God only promised her, I'm good, trust me. And can you imagine a mom putting that baby in that little wicker basket and setting him off that? I just, I can't even imagine what she must have felt, but the remarkable trust that that woman had in God. And then I like this part about the story, that it's probably the first story we have in the Bible where you've got a stepmom who comes on the scene and does a remarkable job raising this young man to be God's answer later on in a nation that God wanted to deal with. And even though his real mom got the privilege of raising him and God protected Moses and gave her that, he also used Pharaoh's sister to be Moses' mother. And what a wonderful story that is right there. You just never know the impact that a mom can have on a kid, whether it's yours or whether you're put in the honorable position of being a mom to a kid that doesn't have one. It's an incredible story. I think, gosh, in modern times, is there anything that even goes along that line? And my wife has a story. Her grandmother, her dad's mom, her name was Genevieve. They called her Bessie. And Bessie had a stroke at a young age. She had seven children. And she ended up having a stroke, a debilitating stroke, followed by a, another one that eventually took her life. And it put her in bed where she couldn't take care of her children and she didn't know what her future is. And they told her, it's not a survivable situation. It was obvious she was on her deathbed, but she was a believer. And she gathered her children around her deathbed. This was at a day and a time when death wasn't looked at like it is today. It was part of life and an inevitability where families were involved in the process of passing from here to there. And today we hide it, don't we? We pretty much push it out and away and no one's around it. We've done everything we can to kind of shield people from the reality of it. But this was a day when you didn't do that. And she gathered all of her children around her bed and she prophetically prayed a prayer. And that prayer, I don't know why this is so emotional for me, but that prayer committed her children to Christ, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren to the service of the Lord and had to trust that if she was not going to be the one who was able to raise them and to influence them, it was the equivalent of having to put them in a basket as she said goodbye and trust that God's providence and his faithfulness would be enough to see her family through. All seven of her children serve God. Now, some of them have gone home to be with the Lord, but every one of the seven grew up knowing Jesus, loving him. Now, it gets better. They had children. All of their children know and love God, but their children went into the ministry. 
And in Chris's family, on her side, from her grandmother, Bessie, we have 17 couples in full-time ministry today that are influencing our world for Christ literally all over the world. 17 couples. And now as we have our children, my five all love God. And three of them are called and working in ministry today. And the other two completely sold out for God and using their talents and what God's called them into in this world to be of influence and a position for Christ in business. And I watched the prayer of a woman who never got to see what was going to happen after she let him go. She never knew. I mean, does she know now? I'm not, I don't know. She will. But can you imagine knowing she was going to say goodbye and having to trust the providence of God with the thing that's most precious to you? That's a remarkable trait that you find in moms. Remarkable trust. Let me move to the next one because I thought this one was kind of an interesting thing too. Remarkable moms have remarkable faith. Remarkable faith. There's a neat scripture in the New Testament. Paul has a protege named Timothy. And you can read all about Timothy and Paul's writings. He refers to him as a son, as a pastor, as a soldier, as a devotee of Christ. He writes so much about him. And yet, there's one particular scripture where Paul probably goes more into detail about Timothy's faith than any place else. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And we find in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your, look at this, grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and now I am persuaded lives in you also. I want you to look at me real quickly on this because I think this is super cool. Paul is not saying, look, look, Paul was the influence on Timothy. He discipled him. He trained him. He got him ready for ministry. When Timothy had problems, he could go to Paul. But Paul doesn't even in this case take the credit for introducing faith to Timothy. He goes, I saw the same faith in your grandmother then I saw it in your mother, and now I'm persuaded it lives in you. There is something about the faith of a mom that can be passed on to a kid. And I'm not saying that if a mom is, is a, a believer, that it's automatic that her child's going to be a believer. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying, though, that it is possible to pass on remarkable faith generation to generation to generation. It's a possibility. So let me tell you a neat story that in my life, this was very true. And it's traceable back. It is a flat-out fact. This is traceable back. 1868, a guy named Edward Kimball in London taught a Sunday school class. Probably never heard of him. Did not influence many people. But he did change the life of a guy named Dwight L. Moody. Ever heard of him? D.L. Moody gets born again because this guy is teaching faithfully in a Sunday school class. D.L. Moody ends up coming to America. While in America, listen to this, just a, a super cool little story. D.L. Moody meets a guy named F.B. Mayer. F.B. Mayer is a believer, a struggling pastor 
who hears D.L. Moody preach and decides to travel America with him. After spending a few years with him, F.B. Mayer ends up uh, meeting a young pastor who he influences named J. Wilbur Chapman. Again, probably not a name that you even know. But Chapman decides to become an evangelist. And in the early 1900s, Chapman leads a man to Christ who becomes an evangelist. And in 1934, he leads a guy named Billy Graham to the Lord. You ever heard of Billy Graham? Billy Graham in the 1950s holds a crusade in New Orleans, Louisiana. An 11-year-old little girl. At the end of the message, George Beverly Shea, what does he sing? Anybody remember? Just as I am. Thank you, one pastor <laughs> in the room. <laughs> George Beverly Shea always sings at the end of a Billy Graham, did sing at the end of a Billy Graham crusade, just as I am. And Billy would always wait there, just like this. And an 11-year-old girl got up out of her seat, went forward, gave her life to Christ. And 10 years later, she has a son. And that son's me. And the faith that can be passed on from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. You never know how you're influencing a person for Christ. You can't ever tell in the moment what this is going to do 100 years from now. Or what it'll do five years from now. Or what it'll do six months from now. Here's your job. Just be a remarkable person of faith. Never let go of your faith. Always hold on to your faith. Always refer to it. Always speak of it in the first person. Always keep it alive on the inside of you so that you never have to fake something with a child. They know when you struggle. They know when you fail. But they also know when it's real. And it's really remarkable when a person can keep it real despite all the struggles in their life. I think back, that story, when I tell it, sounds so clean and so pretty. And here's the truth of the matter with that story. My mom had a difficult life. She had a husband that abandoned her when I was three years old at a time when women didn't have the opportunities that they have today. She went to work at nighttime and my grandmother had to step in and raise me. And I read Paul's words to Timothy, the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother, I'm now persuaded lives in you. My grandmother, I did her funeral last year, and I was able to talk about my grandmother's faith. And I sat with my mom a week and a half ago at a restaurant. And I got to tell her how much her faith has influenced me. And I influence you because of the faith of some women who were just faithful. Insignificant, but faithful. Let me give you the last one. Remarkable love. This one is really close to me. When Jesus carried his cross, we just went through a few weeks ago our series 
leading up to Easter, talking about some incredible events in the week before Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. One of the things that we talked about was the disciples' reaction, in particular Peter, in his dealings with Jesus, how Peter confessed, even if the rest leave you, I'll never leave you, and Jesus tells him prophetically, before the rooster crows three times, you'll have denied me three times, and that story happens, and we just went through that. Here's, here's where I'll go with this. When Jesus carries his cross to Golgotha, the Bible says all of the disciples had deserted him. But it does record this. John, the one that Jesus loved, stood nearby. Not next to, but nearby. Close enough where Jesus could see him, but not so close that he could be identified with him. But there were some people that were right next to Jesus the whole time. Do you remember who they were? One was Mary Magdalene. One, one was his mother. And his mother would not leave her son's side regardless of the cost. No matter what anybody else did, what anybody else thought, what anybody else believed about him, she stayed true to her son. And she stayed right there with him. And the Bible records that at one point, Jesus looked down, saw his mom, and then looked over and saw John who was standing nearby. And then called John over and said, son, your mother, mother, this is now your son. In other words, take care of my mom. But his mom never left his side. And I don't know what it is about moms that causes them to cling to a kid when nobody else will. And I think in our life, I wanted to honor you. We deal with a special needs child, and that's not a burden, but it is a peculiarity that unless you deal with it, you don't understand. We'll never be empty nesters. Our life in many ways has frozen in time and in space, and we're okay with that. But you don't understand sometimes the cost that goes with that. Where you move on in life, we don't. Where you go on into future ideas and plans and hopes, there's things we have to say, it just doesn't work like that for us. This is what we have. And I, I've said it this way. My best days as a dad have come in that situation, and my worst days as a dad have come in that situation. But there's one solidness. A mom who always remains faithful, who digs for doctors, who fights a system, who always encourages a husband, and who always stands by his son. I watched her do it with our son Daniel when he blew his knee out, and everything else was taken away from him. And there's a remarkable love from a mom. I watched her do it in your college. Butler is not a cheap place to go to school. <laughs> and pastors aren't really in the place to send their sons to private schools. But mothers write letters. 
that appeal to the powers that be so that they write off half of your tuition because your mother loves in a way that I can't even describe. I watched both of my girls say, we had the wedding of our dreams because <laughs> you have a mom who loves so incredibly. And I give her the credit for all those things. And I didn't mean to make our Mother's Day about this mom. It's about every mom in this room. About the mom that you are, the mom that you have, the mom that you want to be. Moms are remarkable. Let me tell you about a remarkable lie that the devil loves to tell moms that they're failures. <laughs> that your kid's going to grow up and write a book about you. <laughs> that what you're doing doesn't matter or you're not getting through or that you didn't pass on your faith or that you don't have that level of trust or that you didn't love that way. And I was sent this really cool video from my daughter and I thought I'd like to show it to you, so check this out real quick. I'm a perfectionist, and so that's hard with kids. Uh, there's definitely days when I have my doubts about my abilities. I struggle with my temper. I struggle with like how I react with situations. I wish I knew how to I guess just calm myself before speaking to them. I wish I was better at taking time to sit down and just listen more to my child. I wish I was more confident in being a mom. I'm not the most patient person in the world. Patience. Patience is far and away probably the biggest struggle. I just want them to know just how much I love them. My mom is totally awesome. She's fun to snuggle with. Pretty, funny. She does cook a lot of food for me. She's just unique. That's why I love her so much. We go on dates together. Like, we go shopping. She loves me a lot. I have a lot of favorite things about my mom. We like to watch movies together and color and stuff. We go to church together, we volunteer together. She is like my heart, I guess you could say, because she's that close to me. My favorite thing is to jump on a trampoline with my mom. That's my most favorite thing to go up high. We like get ice cream or something and like you go to the nail salon and have fun. <laughs> my mommy's my hero. She's pretty and beautiful. She is my hero. She just will care about me and just always love me forever. She's the best. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> I always seem to focus mostly on the negative and 
I guess I can walk out of here and say that I'm doing something great and that my child is viewing me in totally different lenses as I view myself. So that's, that's inspiring. This is my calling. This is my job. This is what I love to do and I will do it better and with love each and every day because those kids count on me and they love me for what I'm doing. Cool video. I wanted to end it with just this. The remarkable lie may be that you're failing, but the remarkable truth is that God is faithful. And what you give him, he will work with. Here's what he's really good at. If you give it to him, he can multiply stuff in your hands that you have no earthly idea how in the world it turned out to be such a blessing. But God's in the business of taking what was meant for evil or what we lack or what we don't understand or where we fail and use it for his good and for his purposes. And that's the faithfulness of God that we can all count on in this room. So I want to end this by just praying for moms praying for those that are going to hear the message this weekend, praying that that lie of failure is defeated and that the faithfulness of God is known in folks' lives. So, Father, we do simply trust you with this message. God, I realize that so many times when women are spoken to, the standard, the enemy wants to use it to be a, almost a, a weapon to make, to make women feel like they've come up short, they've blown it or they've missed it. But I'm asking right now that every mom that hears this message this weekend would feel that the faithfulness of God is more than enough to carry them and their family, and their children, their children's children through their lives. God, we believe that you bless moms, that you bring it up in scripture, and so it's an honor for us to take the time this weekend to bless the moms in our lives. And God, that's exactly what we do. Thank you for our moms, God, for our wives, God, for the influence that they have over our children, over us, our grandchildren. And we pray it now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, do me a favor, stand to your feet. We got a gift that we want to give you. Every year, JFC tries to give a mom a gift. Sometimes we've done chocolate. Sometimes we've done flowers. Sometimes we've done sort of goofy giveaways. But we were thinking this weekend, what would be the number one thing maybe that we could give a mom that might be a blessing to her and her family? And we thought maybe the gift of time. So that's it. Go home. Have a great evening. Enjoy your family. We love you. Have a good time. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>